Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's unheralded news, we're going to visit the Olympics. Chuck Carlson has made a very interesting observation about the London 2012 Olympic Games that are going on as we speak. And the title of this is Olympic Opening Ceremonies, Slum Dog England. Pretty provocative. Leslie, would you read that for us, please? Sure. Posted by Charles E. Carlson, August 3, 2012. The London opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics was much criticized as a low-budget presentation. Some thought it dull and depressing with only lively music to pep it up. I disagree. To me, it was powerfully artistic and painfully real. The designer-filmmaker Danny Boyle spoofed his native land, presenting it as it is, financially and socially crumbling, an all-too-real UK, a tawdry, tacky skeleton of a once-world power hiding behind an aging monarch. Danny Boyle showed us England in economic and moral decline without a mooring even in its music and art. The 30th Olympics are a giant party at the very moment Europe is in financial collapse. Danny Boyle is famous for Slumdog Millionaire, the film story of an Indian boy who rose up from the garbage pits of Mumbai. Boyle's Olympic opening ceremony is a slumdog story in reverse. I love the 2008 Olympic ceremony, even though I am no fan of China. It was a proud China for Chinese, expensive and uplifting, and very ethnic, boasting a modern China coming out of the slums and hiding its ugly parts. What we saw in London was the reverse, confessing its decline. Producer Boyle even spoofed the aging queen in a parachute skit with James Bond, a new low in royal dignity. Boyle is a filmmaker with an agenda to entertain, but who, between the lines, knew the truth about once Great Britain and did a clever job of telling part, but not all of it. He put one over on not-so-great Britain. Why should the Queen enjoy dignity? Did she not knight aging beetle Paul McCartney, not to mention pink-haired Elton John? It is unfortunate the Queen overlooked knighting Benny Hill and Monty Python, the first great spoofers of anything British. They might have been on the show, too. Sir Beetle John McCartney exposed not a wrinkle in his often jacked-up face and in a quaky voice led the crowd in a half-dozen rousing choruses of Hey Jude as though it was the British National Anthem. Who remembers that Hey Jude is a drug culture song of 60s? Remember to let her under your skin, then you'll begin to make it better, 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 better. Oh, now tell me, what did the rock culture of the 60s tell you to put under your skin to make you feel better, better, better? 
I wonder if the Queen sang along. Yes, I loved it. The opening program was great. Great in that it was real and showed what England was and what it is today. I quote the Associated Press story by Aaron McClam and John Leister, who are among those who seem to get it. Quote, there has to be a modesty, designer filmmaker Danny Boyle said. You can't get grandiose with this job because you are following Beijing. Boyle's producer of Slumdog Millionaire and Academy Award winner, had no orders to cut out scenes depicting all that's gritty and grim in the nation, a nation in decline after the Industrial Revolution trying to reposition itself as technological innovators. We are learning our place in the world, Boyle said. A hundred years ago, we were everything. Obviously, the Industrial Revolution has partly bred that. But there is a change, so I hope there is an innate modesty in the ceremony about it as well. In his own words, Boyle designed an Olympic theme around a crumbling and sick economy with music to match. He showed us the scene of the migration of the landless peasants swarming from the hills owned by the landed gentry to the stinking smokestacks of new industrial revolution. Next, we saw the enlightened age of socialist services for everyone depicted by an extravagant medical system. Finally, we all joined in the realm of entertainment. With the coming of Beatles, sounds, and lyrics, Boyle treated us to a good times, rock England culture without a hint of classic. Irreverent comedian Mr. Bean spoofed chariot of the gods, and a noble Olympic event long past. Boyle even conned the straight-faced and formal queen into going along with the transition from greatness to entertainment in her time by pretending to jump out of a helicopter in an orange formal Shannon dress. Boyle's message to me, England is shot, so hang on and have some fun. The Olympics opening ceremony was the slumdog story in reverse. England is descending into the garbage heap of insolvency. Everyone knows it. And Boyle showed it. Hats off to Danny Boyle for telling a story that needed to be told and making England like it. But what did Boyle leave out of the Commonwealth's history that allowed him to get away with it? One big, untouchable issue Boyle avoided was occupation. He left out 200 years of Britain's constant militarism and brutal colonization that kept England's furnaces running and her smokestacks puffing. Not a word about occupation in Americas, India, Africa, and South Africa, Sudan, and Palestine. Nothing about constant wars that rounded up the peasants sons from the gentry-owned farms and the laborers from the bank-owned mills and put them in the ranks. He left out the part of Great Britain's history that is now being repeated in American history, wars and occupation that kept its economy going. Smart fellow, Boyle. He knew where to quit. 
Brian Williams of NBC narrated the opening ceremony, and this lavishly paid, seemingly numbskull missed Danny Boyle's theme. But Williams did not overlook his boss's politics of war in our day. He pointed out thumbs up and thumbs down, the good guys and the bad guys, as each team marched alphabetically into the arena. He followed the Zionist script of NBC Evening News to the letter. He left no doubt the wars are still on. The noble guys are Israel, the U.S., and the U.K. The troublemakers, according to Williams, are Palestine, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. All were there, tolerated by the good guys. When Israel entered... Williams carefully pointed out that Palestinian terrorists had murdered team members in 1972 and the Olympic Committee had denied Israel the privilege of stopping the march to hold a demonstration. Williams did not mention that at least two of the Arab countries there are occupied territories and could only come to London with permission of their occupiers one of which occupiers is Israel, and the other is the USA. Brian Williams colored in part of the story of great Jim Thorpe in the Stockholm 1912 Olympics as the U.S. team, conspicuous for its towering multimillionaire pros, marched by. Not surprisingly, Williams did not mention that the great amateur athlete Thorpe was stripped of his honors and gold medals for taking what amounted to room and board for playing Bush League summer baseball while still in college. The spirit of the Olympics was then amateurism, and Thorpe had broken a rule ever so slightly. Williams mentions Jim Thorpe in the same breath as Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, leaders of the U.S. Olympic basketball team, and the tennis pros Williams' sisters, which is why I broke my own rules and called him a numbskull. It is a symbol of this professional Olympic tackiness that the gold medals Thorpe lost were solid real gold, and those handed out in the 30th Olympiad are debased like the rest of our currency, plated replicas worth only a few hundred dollars in meltdown. Two countries protested before the games got started, North Korea over the organizers' flag blunder and Israel over the Olympic Committee's refusal to halt the ceremony for a minute of silence in honor of the Israeli team of 1972. To the Olympic decision-makers' credit, Israel was not allowed to politicize They said Israel is not the only country to suffer such acts. I love the Olympics, at least most of it, the teenage gymnasts with sacrificing families, the nameless rowers who passed out from exhaustion over their oar, but only after they finished. I have heard a rumor that the pro basketball players may not be allowed in future games. I would like to see it restored to amateurism, but that is not my purpose here. I also love the old town of London with its tower, but it is shadows of the past. Greece hosted the 2004 Olympics, and it is bankrupt eight years later. England is on the same path, 
and will last until 2020 only if the USA uses its last breath to bail her out. Who will rescue the U.S. from the financial and moral recompense of our once-occupier England? We are now the world's war maker and occupier. Great. Thank you. That was a remarkable piece, Chuck. I, what inspired you to do that? That was, uh, once again, very insightful, I think, uh, that most people watching the ceremony, would that would fly right over their heads. They were just seeing entertainment. Well, there was a, a story about the Gaza runner, Nadar El-Masari, who was featured in a sports magazine in March. It tells of this man living in occupied Gaza uh, who practices and has no place to practice. Uh, his shoes have been worn out for five or ten years. He has no new shoes, and when he uh, goes to a match, he has to borrow spikes from somebody to, somebody to run in. He's actually was in the uh, two, the uh, Beijing Olympics, and presumably he's among the uh, ten people or so that represented uh, Palestine in the current Olympics. I haven't been able to find his name, but uh, the point here, of course, is that these people are out of occupied territories that, of course, was once occupied by Great Britain and is now occupied by Israel, and they can't even come to the Olympics without getting permission from Israel to uh, come through Israel to get to England eventually. This is also the case in the Afghanistani delegation who has a website about the Olympics, and it tells about their delegation there. They hope to win. I think they won their first, I think they won a medal in something some time ago uh, in 2008. They won the first medal Afghanistan had ever won in something. They have a delegation there. They also are coming out of an occupied territory, occupied by the United States government. So they can't just go to the airport, buy a ticket, and come to London and participate. They have to get permission from their occupiers to even come. This is a sad thing that's not mentioned at all in the Olympics. Uh, what's also interesting about the Olympics that I'm sure neither of you have heard about, any of the listeners have heard about, Iran also has an Olympic team, and they have won two gold medals in the 2012 London Olympics. But we've not seen anything on any of the news media even, even covering anything other than their presence at the games. In other words, there is zero publicity for the Iranians remarkably winning something at the Olympics. Iran, of course, still controls their own airports so they can control who gets a passport and who can go to London, and apparently they're admitted, admitted in London. Iraq, on the other hand, has an Olympic team there. We haven't heard anything about their accomplishments, if, if any. But the uh, Iraq Olympic team, and by the way, the Iraq Olympic team did win medals in Beijing uh, in, I think it was in soccer, as I remember, they won, at least they won some, some games. Iraq, of course, is not considered an occupied country because they now have their own government, but it's a puppet government put in place by the United States after the destruction of Iraq. And uh, so, essentially, you do have a, sort of a, a form of de facto control over, over Iraq's presence in the Olympics. So to sum it all up, after this is all over, we hope that people will go to, their, to the Internet and check and see how many 
what what the outcome was for Palestine, what the outcome was for Iraq, maybe for Iran, and uh, you'll find that these countries, these uh, non-favored countries, and of course Syria also has a team there. I've, I, I neglected to mention these countries, who are the unfavored countries, are receiving not even a glimmer of fair coverage of their presence there. Sometimes under remarkably difficult circumstances, <clears throat> such as. Nadal's <clears throat> Masari of uh, Gaza. Great. Well, now you didn't. Uh, the Iranians actually won. What were the medals that they? Two they gold medals. A, they uh, won. They won a, 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 a two big time medals. One in boxing, and one in Greco Roman wrestling, which I believe are both original Olympic sports. They're not like uh, badminton that's been added, uh, you know, in subsequent right. years. And uh, so they actually have a competing team in several sports where they've actually been entered. I've also looked for these people as they run in events, and you see these people run, uh, oftentimes running in events. Uh, a, couple of the, a couple of the Iranians ran in 100-yard dashes, 100-meter dashes, and without, of course, qualifying. But uh, I, I really didn't see them even mentioned on the lineup in the, in the, in the uh News coverage—it's almost they're almost ignored in the coverage of our MSNBC news. Chuck, well, that, the thought came to mind: if we got enough people to call the State Department and uh, urge that uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton officiate a wrestling match between uh, Israel, or maybe they could use Benjamin Netanyahu and the Iranians to. Uh, settle their differences. Do you think that would fly? A Greco-Roman. I don't think so. (laughs) That's a pretty wacky idea, but, you know, it's actually, it makes some sense. I mean, all this nonsense that they want to start this war, as we've talked about in other broadcasts, it uh, is certainly nothing like that would ever happen. Why not let them uh, shoot a duel with real bullets? And I'm sure that... uh, that might settle the issue. Save yes. a lot of lives. Ab- absolutely. Well, thanks so much for that report, Chuck. That was very insightful and, I think, thought-provoking. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.